We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And away we go, episode 297 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Thursday, April 21st, 2022. One week away are we from the first round of the 2022 NFL Draft, which this year is taking place in Las Vegas. Uh, We late night. On Wednesday night, had the Capitals in Vegas, and Alex Ovechkin made history. Uh, now, the Caps did lose at the Vegas Golden Knights 4-3, but the 4-3 final was in overtime, so the Caps picked up a point. But Ovi, the great eight, the greatest player in Caps history, maybe the greatest athlete in Washington, D.C. sports history, maybe the greatest goal scorer in NHL history, scored Two goals. Uh, Goal number one was his 49th goal of the season, moving him past Team Usulani in the 2006-2007 NHL regular season for the most goals by a player age 36 or older in a regular season in NHL history. And goal number two gave Ovechkin an NHL record-tying ninth 50-goal regular season season. Uh, There is a lot going on in sports these days. We have yet another star receiver in the NFL wanting to be traded in the San Francisco 49ers, Debo Samuel. We have one of the great coaches in certainly recent college basketball history, if not college basketball history, period, Villanova head coach Jay Wright retiring. That came out of nowhere. But we on Wednesday night, late night, while many of you were sleeping, while some of you were engaged in deviant acts, but that's okay, we don't judge on this podcast, had Alex Ovechkin making NHL history. A proper salute to Ovi is coming up later in the show, as well as some other thoughts on this Caps game. But hello and welcome to a Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. What is a special installment of the Al Galdi podcast? And not just because of Ovi. Uh, I have a special guest for you on this installment of the Al Galdi podcast. This is one of the bigger guests I've had on the podcast. 
former NFL defensive end, former NFL edge defender, Chris Long. Uh, Chris Long is a two-time Super Bowl champion, including having won a Super Bowl with Carson Wentz, our new commander's quarterback. Yes, Chris Long played for the Philadelphia Eagles for the final two seasons of his career, 2017 and 2018. 2017 was the Eagles' Super Bowl winning season, during which Wentz was an MVP candidate, but then suffered a torn left ACL in December of that season. So Chris was with Carson at his highest as an NFL player, his great play in the 2017 season. And Chris was with Carson for some of his lower moments as an NFL player, including him suffering the torn left ACL in December 2017 and then having problems in the 2018 season. Chris Long is the host of his own podcast, Greenlight with Chris Long. Uh, Chris is one of the more refreshingly thoughtful, honest, and funny ex-athletes in sports media. And what you're going to hear from Chris in my conversation with him is an honest, objective, clear-headed, first-hand account of what it's like being Carson Wentz's teammate. You know, we all have heard and read and discussed all of the reports and rumors about Carson Wentz. It has been impossible not to wonder what kind of a guy Carson is with all of the reports and rumors out there and with the impossible to deny reality of the commanders being Carson's third team in three seasons. The truth about Carson Wentz matters a lot. Well, the truth about Carson as a teammate and as a player with Chris Long is coming up on this installment of the Al Galdi podcast. This maybe, possibly, is the most significant interview in the history of the Al Galdi podcast. Uh, Also on the show, I do have a Dwayne Haskins update, and I'll talk Nationals. Uh, Wednesday was not a good day for the Nats. Uh, We had Sean Doolittle going on the 10-day injured list with a left elbow sprain. We had the Nats falling to 6-8 thanks to getting blasted by the lowly Arizona Diamondbacks 11-2 at Nationals Park as Eric Fetty got shellacked. We had Josh Bell leaving that game due to a left knee problem. We even had the U.S. Capitol being evacuated due to a major misunderstanding with something that happened at Nationals Park prior to the game. Like I said, Wednesday was not a good day for the Nats. I will discuss all of these items coming up, and I'll talk Orioles. Believe it or not, the O's have been one of the best teams in the majors so far in the 2022 regular season in terms of starting pitching. Yeah, where the heck did this come from? Another good game on Wednesday evening for the Orioles in terms of their starting pitching. And in this game, their pitching period, a one nothing win at the Oakland A's. I mean, I'm not so sure this is going to last for much longer, but the Orioles starting pitching a major strength so far this season. Uh, though the O's are just 4-8, and eight, uh, the Orioles hitting has been a bit of an issue. Uh, you can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the 
Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tweet from Chef James on Notre Dame safety Kyle Hamilton, who the commanders on Monday reportedly hosted for a pre-draft visit and who I talked about a lot on Tuesday's show, episode 295, including in a conversation with Notre Dame insider Pete Sampson of The Athletic. Uh, Now, Hamilton has run these disappointing 40 times. Uh, Hamilton at the 2022 NFL Scouting Combine ran a 4-5-9-40. Hamilton at Notre Dame's Pro Day on March 25th ran a 4-5-6-40. Those were considered disappointing 40 times for Hamilton. Writes Chef James, uh, one pushback about Kyle Hamilton at his 40 times. Sean Taylor ran a 4-5-1-40. Ed Reed ran a 4-5-9-40. Kyle has been said to play faster than his 40 times because of his instincts, much like Sean Taylor and Ed Reed. No, I'm not comping him to either guy. Uh, Thank you for the tweet, Chef James. Uh, I would say this, when you are comparing players 40 times from now to players 40 times of, you know, 15 years ago, there is a difference. Uh, Generally speaking, athletes today are bigger, stronger, faster than athletes of yesteryear. So you have to look at 40 times in relation to other 40 times that year or within a few years, because as the evolution of man continues, players continue to become more athletic. So a 45140 in 2004 is different than a 45140 in 2022. That said, uh, I'm with you, Chef James, from a standpoint of we should not go crazy over these Kyle Hamilton 40 times. Uh, remember, all that a 40 time is, is your straight line speed with uh, minimal clothing on, okay? In an NFL game, you as a safety, A, are running with pads and a helmet on, B, are running while diagnosing what's happening on the field, and C, are often not running in a straight line. So a 40 time is a piece of the evaluation puzzle, but a 40 time is only one piece of that puzzle. And you really could argue that for a safety, a 40 time is less relevant than a 40 time for, say, a corner or a receiver. Uh, Email from Luke Archer on the perpetual NFL draft debate of drafting the best player available versus drafting for need. Uh, I am very much a best player available guy. I am very much a BPA guy. I talked about that on Monday's show, episode 294. Right, Luke, I disagree about what you said on Monday's episode about drafting the best player available. I think the only time a team should look for the best player available is if the team is in a total rebuild or if the team has a very bad roster. On the other hand, I don't think that a team should reach too far for a player for need. I think that in later rounds, like fourth rounds and later, you should do BPA, but you still should consider team need. In the 2022 NFL draft, I think that the commanders should be looking for a wide receiver, quarterback, and linebacker. If the commanders want to go with a three-safety defense like last season, they should also draft a safety. If not, then a corner. I think the most ideal draft for the commanders would be to draft Garrett Wilson, and if not him, then Chris Olave at 11. Then in the second round draft, Desmond Ritter, if he falls. If not, then the most underrated quarterback in the draft, Carson Strong. I would want to know what you think the most ideal draft for the commanders would be. Thanks for your great work and keep it up. Uh, Thank you for the email, Luke. Appreciate that. Yeah, I still come back to this with drafting 
the best player available versus drafting for need. Uh, needs change. Needs evolve uh, for all kinds of reasons. Uh, injuries, performance. And so to pass over a player who you think is better than another player only because the other player addresses a need that you have at that precise moment in time, to me, is foolish and short-sighted. Uh, unless you're a Super Bowl contender, okay? If you're a Super Bowl contending team and you really feel like you're a player or two away from winning a Super Bowl championship, then I think you can relax this thing of drafting the best player available. But otherwise, to me, just stock up on VPA, man. Stock up on best players available and figure out the rest once the season comes because these things do have a tendency to work themselves out. Uh, as for my ideal draft for the Commanders, uh, I'm actually very excited for the Commanders draft because I think that they're going to have their pick of a number of good players with that number 11 overall pick. Uh, I would love for the Commanders to have their choice of three of the top four receivers in the draft at 11. Uh, the top four receivers in some order certainly seem to be USC's Drake London, Ohio State's Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, and Alabama's Jamison Williams. I doubt that all four of those guys will be available at 11, but it would be also nice if, say, three of those guys were available at 11. I think that we'll probably have two of those guys available at 11, but three might be asking for a lot, but that doesn't mean that we can't ask for that. I would love for three of those guys to be available at 11, and then the commanders can just pick the one out of the three who the commanders like the best. But I'm not just locked in on a receiver. Uh, I also would love for the commanders to get the Cincinnati corner, Ahmad Sauce Gardner. Now, I don't think that he will be available to the commanders at 11, but who the heck knows? Um, I do have concerns about the LSU corner, Derek Stingley Jr., uh, more so his uh, lackluster play over the last two seasons as opposed to him having undergone a left footless Frank surgery this past September, although that is a concern as well. But Stingley is really talented. I mean, I wouldn't just like take him off my draft board or anything like that. And I am open to the man who we just talked about a few minutes ago, the Notre Dame safety, Kyle Hamilton, so long as the commander C. Hamilton has more than just a box safety. But my ideal scenario would be Garrett Wilson or Sauce Gardner at 11. But I think that there's a good chance that both of those guys will be gone by the time that the commander's number 11 overall pick comes up. But even if both of those guys are gone when the commander's number 11 overall pick comes up, I do very much believe that the commanders can get themselves a really good player at 11. Uh, by the way, regarding the Ohio State receivers, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, uh, so we know that Ron Rivera was at the Ohio State Pro Day. We know that the commanders reportedly have had both Wilson and Olave in for pre-draft visits. It would certainly seem that Ron likes himself, Wilson and Olave. Well, we on Wednesday had a sit-down conversation between Ron Rivera and former Redskins tight end and current friend of the Al Galdi podcast, Logan Paulson, come out uh, from the Commanders. Uh, this was an in-house production. So, you know, there was nothing really like newsworthy in the interview, but there was something from Ron regarding the Ohio State receivers, regarding Wilson and Olave that I think is worth knowing about. Uh, so the conversation between Ron and Logan was mostly about the evaluation process for an NFL draft and what Ron and his staff look at and how Ron and his staff go about evaluating players. Well, take a listen to this. 
you know, a little bit of a hint. But the Ohio State receivers. Yeah. You watch those guys against DBs and you go, wow. Yeah. If this guy's sticking with this guy or this guy's sticking with that guy, that's impressive. Yeah. So those are some of the things that I try to do as well. So how about that? Uh, that's from Ron Rivera on the Ohio State receivers, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, was unsolicited. I mean, it wasn't like Logan Paulson asked Ron about the Ohio State receivers. Ron volunteered that about the Ohio State receivers. Now, maybe just maybe that was a subterfuge. That was misdirection on the part of Ron. But my guess is that Ron just really is a big fan of Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. Well, I'll tell you who I'm a big fan of when it comes to buying a home. Kellen Hunt. Uh, You know, Bruce Smith many years ago, while playing for the Redskins, said of his pursuit of the NFL's all-time regular season sack record, the hunt is on. Well, perhaps you are hunting for a home in the Washington, D.C. area, but are feeling intimidated or concerned about the state of the market. Uh, There are people lined up for showings, investors with cash offers, bidding wars over asking prices. You want to buy a home, but man, it's rough out there. Did you know that in Chevy Chase, Maryland, 66% of homes are sold within 10 days of being listed? Uh, On Capitol Hill, 60% of homes listed are sold in 10 days or less. In Georgetown, 43% of sales thus far this year have been cash transactions. And so if you want to buy a home, but aren't sure if you can, don't worry. I have a realtor for you. And he's not some, you know, billion dollar broker with his own reality show who sleeps with his Bluetooth headset on. Okay. I'm talking about a trusted partner who understands what it's like out there right now. Kellen Hunt. Uh, My man, Kel, puts the real back in real estate. Kel is here to help you because you are who it's about. You, the home buyer. Uh, let the showboats do what they want to do. Love it, list it, fix it, and flip it. Kellen Hunt is a realtor for the rest of us. First-time buyers looking for guidance. Young families that need space to grow. The empty nesters ready to retire. You just need someone who understands the real estate market and can match you with a home that meets your needs because that's what real estate is about. Your needs, your dreams, finding the right place for you. And Kellen Hunt isn't just a realtor. He's a young entrepreneur, father, husband, and homeowner himself. He's smart, creative, and above all, Kel gets it. Plus, he's willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yes, you, the buyer, get a piece of the action. Kel knows what buyers like you are facing, and he wants to help. So visit CloseItWithKel.com. That's CloseItWithKel, K-E-L-L.com. And book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs. Make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. That's CloseItWithKel.com. CloseItWithKel.com. And tell your friends, your cousins, your aunties, your coworkers. Tell everyone who you know who's buying a home to book their introductory call with Kellen Hunt at CloseItWithKel.com. If you're trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kel. Visit CloseItWithKel.com and tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. Before we get to my conversation with Chris Long talking Carson Wentz, I do want to hit on something that came out on Wednesday that I think is important. So coming out on Wednesday morning was audio 
of a 911 call on the morning of the death of Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback and former Washington quarterback Dwayne Haskins, who died on early Saturday morning, April 9th, due to being struck by a dump truck while he was walking on a South Florida highway. Uh, the 911 call was from Dwayne's wife, Calabria. She called 911 concerned for Dwayne off him having been stranded on a highway looking for gas before he stopped responding to her. Uh, now, I could play the audio of the 911 call. I'm not going to do that. Uh, the audio of the call is, of course, sad and heartbreaking, and there's no need to depress everyone with that. But if you listen to the call, you hear Calabria tell the dispatch officer that Dwayne had called Calabria from the side of a road near I-95 in Broward County, Florida, claiming that his car had left him stranded and he was walking to try to find gas. Uh, the worst part of the call, by far, is the dispatch officer a short time later telling Calabria, quote, I don't want you to panic, but I'm going to be honest with you. We do have an incident on the highway, but I can't confirm if that's your husband or not, end quote. And of course, the incident turned out to have involved her husband. But I bring up this 911 call for this reason. The call is the first true definitive insight that we have received on what Duane was doing when he was killed. Uh, there has been a lot of speculation. There have been reports of what was going on. I have not talked about all of these reports because to me, the facts in something like this matter a lot. So I think that you need to be really careful with what you talk about and what you give credence to. But one of the aspects about Dwayne's death that, of course, has been really difficult to understand is what exactly happened here. Uh, said Florida Highway Patrol spokesperson, Lieutenant Indiana Miranda, on the day of Dwayne's death, in a statement, quote, he was attempting to cross the westbound lanes of Interstate 595 when there was oncoming traffic, end quote. Uh, she also said that the incident was, quote, an open traffic homicide investigation, end quote. Uh, Dwayne was training in South Florida with other Steelers players, but the obvious question has been, why in the world was he attempting to cross an interstate in the midst of oncoming traffic? And one of the things that I wondered about was whether Dwayne killed himself, was whether Dwayne's death was a suicide. Just because attempting to cross an interstate in the midst of oncoming traffic seems to be an incredibly dangerous thing to do, the kind of thing that you wouldn't do unless you're trying to get hit by a vehicle. Well, this 911 call seems to indicate that what happened with Dwayne may well just have been a terrible accident, that Dwayne's vehicle ran out of gas and he was trying to go get gas. And it was early in the morning. We know that Dwayne's death happened around 640 in the morning and he perhaps didn't see clearly the oncoming traffic, and he tragically got hit by a dump truck and died. I mean, we don't know that all of that is exactly what happened, and or maybe there is more to what happened than what I just outlined, but this 911 call from Calabria would seem to indicate that Dwayne's death was not a suicide. And while there's nothing good about Dwayne's death, uh, his death being a suicide 
would have made the death even sadder, right? And more tragic and more painful. Uh, if, in fact, his death was just a terrible accident, his death still is incredibly sad and tragic and painful, but it seems to be that his death being a suicide would have made his death even sadder and more tragic and more painful. So, once again, nothing but good thoughts and prayers for Dwayne Haskins and his family. Uh, it has been incredible to see all of the tributes to Dwayne. Uh, Ohio State spring game was this past Saturday. The Buckeyes quarterback, C.J. Stroud, wore a Dwayne Haskins Jr. jersey during the game. Uh, UCLA quarterback Dorian Thompson-Robinson has gotten a new tattoo on his right forearm of Dwayne Haskins. It's tricky because, obviously, Dwayne Haskins did not work out as an NFL quarterback, and we all know that his time with Washington did not work out, but Dwayne is a college football legend in some ways. Uh, I talked about this on the first episode of the podcast after his death, episode 289. Dwayne Haskins' 2018 season at Ohio State is one of the best seasons by a quarterback in Big Ten history. Uh, Dwayne, for the 2018 college football season, led the FBS with 50 touchdown passes. He had 50 touchdown passes versus just eight interceptions. Dwayne for the 2018 college football season also finished number one in the FBS in passing yards, 4,831. Number four among qualified quarterbacks in the FBS in completion percentage, 70. Uh, Number five among qualified quarterbacks in the FBS in total QBR per ESPN at 84.8. Number eight among qualified quarterbacks in the FBS in yards per pass attempt at 9.06. And Dwayne in that 2018 college football season came up huge in big games. Uh, Dwayne and the Buckeyes 62-39 blowout of arch rival Michigan on November 24th, 2018 went 20 of 31 for 396 yards, six touchdowns, and no interceptions. Uh, Dwayne and the Buckeyes 45-24 win over Northwestern in the Big Ten Championship game at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis on December 1st, 2018, went 34 of 41 for 499 yards, five touchdowns, and an interception. So yeah, Dwayne's NFL legacy isn't exactly sparkling, but his college football legacy is pretty special. Uh, By the way, there will be multiple services for Dwayne off his death. Uh, One will be in Pittsburgh, one will be in New Jersey, and one will be here in the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, That service will take place at Dwayne's High School, Bullet School, in Potomac, Maryland, uh, this Sunday night, April 24th at 7. You know, one of the really cool things about the D.C. area is that it has had multiple star high school quarterbacks go on to great prominence in college football in recent years. Uh, Dwayne Haskins at Ohio State. Uh, Caleb Williams, who went to Gonzaga College High School in Washington, D.C. Uh, he first went to Oklahoma, now is at USC. And Caleb eventually may be a number one pick in an NFL draft. Well, another great tradition in Washington, D.C. is the work of the law firm of Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. We have a saying on this podcast regarding Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson 
and Nace. If you or someone you love is dealing with injury through no fault of your own or no fault of his or her own, call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611 and tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace is widely respected throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia for the firm's accomplishments both in and out of courtrooms. Chris Nace and Matt Nace are dedicated trial attorneys who do not balk in the face of large insurance companies or well-known businesses whose practices or products are directly related to the root of your injury. Paulson and Nace does not accept low settlement offers that benefit the people who caused clients' harms more than the offers benefit the clients. Paulson and Nace is not afraid to take a case to trial, and Paulson and Nace wins trials. Paulson and Nace has secured millions of dollars in verdict and settlement amounts for clients to better enable them to care for themselves and their families in the future. Again, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wrong, if you think that you've been wrong but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. You're obligated to nothing. Call Paulson and Nace at 202 902 7611. That's 202-902-7611. You have nothing to lose. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule your no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. Just make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. A reminder that you can subscribe to the Al Galdi podcast and subscribing costs you nothing. You don't have to worry about inflation when it comes to subscribing to this podcast. Uh, also, if you have not yet rated and reviewed the podcast, uh, please consider doing those things whenever you can. Uh, the most prominent place at which you can rate and review the podcast is Apple Podcasts, which is how most people listen to this podcast. You can also rate the podcast on Spotify. Uh, please give the podcast a five-star rating and write like, you know, one or two sentence review saying that you like the podcast. Uh, those things help to make the podcast successful. And I thank you very much for doing those things. So it was on March 9th that we learned that our commanders had agreed on the trade for Indianapolis Colts quarterback Carson Wentz. It was on March 16th that the trade became official. And so for more than a month now, we have been talking about and thinking about this commander's trade for Carson Wentz. We all know that the commanders were all in on trying to get a franchise quarterback this offseason. Wentz ended up being the guy. Uh, He pretty clearly was not the commander's first choice, but he ended up being the choice. And a big part of the Carson Wentz conversation, obviously, has been the concerns with Wentz. Uh, Why is he now on his third team in three seasons? What about these reports of him lacking in leadership and lacking in coachability and not always getting along with people? Well, I thought that it would be good to have on the podcast someone who actually played with Carson Wentz. And so I'm very pleased to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast right now, former NFL edge defender Chris Long. Uh, Chris played in the NFL for 11 seasons, 2008 through 2018. He won Super Bowl championships in back-to-back seasons, the 2016 season 
with the New England Patriots in the 2017 season with the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Chris was a teammate of Carson Wentz on the Eagles for two seasons, 2017 and 2018. Uh, As many of you listening know, Chris is a wahoo. Uh, Chris went to the University of Virginia. And also, as many of you listening know, Chris is the son of Pro Football Hall of Famer Howie Long. Uh, And Chris is the host of a terrific podcast, uh, Greenlight with Chris Long. Uh, Chris, it's very nice to talk to you, man. How are you? I'm good, Al. How are you doing? Doing well. Uh, Before I ask you a bunch of Carson Wentz questions, I have to tell you, I've had a lot of respect for you for a while. Uh, I first saw you when you used to go on with Scott Van Pelt and Ryan Rossillo on ESPN (laughs) Radio. And your sense of humor, your self-awareness, your self-deprecation, like those things really stood out. And you know, I think that those things are very likable and relatable. I'm just curious, have you always been like that? Because as I'm sure you know, uh, not everyone in sports and in sports media is like that. Well, I played in St. Louis for eight years. I like to make that comment a lot. I think that helps me be pretty self-aware and, and <laughs> self-deprecating. Like, you know, like, um, you know, I've been, as a player, you, if you go through enough, you kind of just, uh, you can you can crack jokes on yourself. And I think, you know, like people that are consumers of sports media, they don't want to hear like the perfect media member. They don't want to hear the, you know, the former player that won't let you in on, you know, anything behind the scenes or, you know, um, we like to have fun. And so I, I'm never going to take myself too seriously. And I think that's a better look than, you know, being a hardo. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. So uh, much respect to you and all that you did as a player. So, all right, uh, Carson Wentz. I mean, as you can imagine, we here in the D.C. area have spent a lot of time trying to figure out what the commanders are getting in Wentz. You played with the guy for two seasons. Uh, You tell us, what kind of a guy is Carson Wentz? Well, number one, I think he's a good person. I think Carson's a good person. Uh, I think football, like, this isn't some beat-around-the-bush answer. I mean... I'll tell you exactly what I think of the football player and the teammate and those sort, sorts of things in a minute. But I do think, first off, like people should know that Carson Wentz is a good person. I, I believe that wholeheartedly. Um, I think football and the strains and stresses of football bring out things in people that they otherwise wouldn't have brought out in other situations. I mean, the stresses of being a leader in a building or being asked to be a leader in the building, be the guy that touches the football every play. Like um, Your imperfections get get kind of, you know, under a microscope, especially playing somewhere in Philly. And I will say this, like, I do think if Carson played well in Indy last year, we don't hear any of this stuff. I think that's the bottom line. Carson has to be a better football player um, since his MVP run. And I I do think there are things that he needs to work on as a teammate and as a leader. Uh, That was probably, that was probably relatively observable when we were in Philly. I mean, like, He's not the perfect leader. He's not that fiery guy. He's not a guy who's going to hit every corner of the locker room. But when you're having an MVP type season, like nobody cares. Like, you know, we were a veteran team. So part of my perspective on Carson is I never looked to him for leadership. Um, There were guys in that locker room who could lead. Now, I know Washington, for instance, younger team, like who are the leaders there? I think that's what makes this move as curious as, you know, any aspect of the trade is that like you're going to ask this guy who's kind of been run out of you know, is the last building he was in because of leadership or you know, like the throws were one thing, but you know, you had kind of gasoline to the fire with some of these reports. And I, I think what I'm worried about 
as him as a teammate is just being stubborn. I think like that's his one thing that he's not been able to overcome is like his own stubbornness. And, you know, we hear all the time, like people kind of complimenting players when they're stubborn, when they, you know, like when they, when they do things their way, when they're, they're, that stuff works when you're great. And when you're not great and when you play poorly, which he's played lately, people don't want to hear stubborn. They, they don't want to hear my way. And I think that's the biggest thing that Carson as a buddy, like as somebody I consider a guy that I like a good person, like he has to, he has to, he has to beat himself. He's been his own worst enemy. You know, the throws he made down the stretch in the Tennessee game last year, I always call back to like um, some of the, the forces that he makes late in games that you're just like, why throw that ball? Like that is a microcosm of Carson. I think Carson has belief in himself without being arrogant. And I think it's been exacerbated by the fact that he got hurt. He hasn't been the same since. And when you're hurt in the NFL and people expect a lot out of you and there's pressure, you press. And sometimes you push people away around you. So I think this Washington situation could be a good restart for him to look in the mirror and say, like, hey, what I've been doing is not working. If he can say, I am no longer the boss of me, I need to I need to outsource my development to somebody like uh, Scott Turner or whoever. Um, take coaching, take take uh, take, you know, kind of take uh, teammates advice like I think he can salvage this thing. And I think, you know, like. The only thing I, the only thing I will say is that Frank Reich thought the same of Carson as I do, and he probably thought even higher of him because he was in the room with him in Philly, uh, and he kind of went running, you know, after what he saw of a year in Indy. So I do think it's completely possible that people change, players change, you know, and and their mindsets change year to year. And I think he's just got to get out of this slump, and maybe this is the right place to do it. And he, it starts with being less stubborn. So with this stubbornness, in what ways have you seen Carson Wentz be stubborn? On the field. You know, I've, I've heard I, I've heard things, but you know how hearsay is. I mean, like, I've heard, I've heard you know, like, you know, it's, it's a my way. I, I like doing things my way. And, you know, if you're, if you, if you're playing really well, um, <clears throat> that works, right? And people celebrate that. Like, that guy's a gunslinger. That guy does things his way. That guy believes in himself, like, you have to walk the line, though, of believing in yourself as a player, but also taking input. And I think um, sometimes when you're backed into a corner because everybody's saying you suck or you're washed up or you're hurt, you dig further into that bag rather than, hey, maybe I should listen to some of the noise and adjust some things. But I look no further than the throws. I mean, like the throws to me are, are what tell you everything. And, and when, when you force balls into dangerous situations and inopportune times, like that's stubbornness. And I think that that, you know, when it manifests in the field, it's a big problem. But what you're hearing is that you see that in the building some. And I wasn't in Indy. I was only in Philly. And I've, I've always I've always couched my commentary with like, listen, I was a defensive end and I was 32 years old. I don't need Carson to leave me for anything. But I didn't see the axe murderer that people have described. <laughs> I think this thing can snowball. I think both things can be true. That Carson's a good person. He has things to work on as a teammate, you know, and uh, I played with much worse guys than Carson Wentz, but he's got to look himself in the mirror and say, Hey, like whatever I've been doing has not been working. And I'm not just talking about on the field. Like I'm talking about in the locker room too, because the reviews have not always been raved since that 2017 year. So I I think he's just got to work on that stuff. The reason he, I'll say this. If he makes the throws, if they beat New England and he's the reason they beat New England, not, you know, not, you know, seven completions or whatever it was. 
if he if he makes those throws at the end of the Tennessee game, if he if he shows up in Jacksonville with everything on the line, like he's still in Indy. Nobody cares about that stuff. I mean, I don't want to speak for other people, but I'm just telling you, performance is king. And if he can perform and work on himself incrementally, like this won't be an issue in Washington. Yeah, no, what you say makes total sense because we had a similar thing here with Robert Griffin III. He had the great 2012 rookie season. Nobody said word one about Robert not being a great teammate. And then he got hurt and he struggled and all of a sudden everything came out. So yeah, I mean, if you play really well, that masks just about everything. So, I mean, you know, the axe murder thing's such a great way of phrasing it. There are these stories, though, that are out there, especially from his time with the Eagles. One of the stories that keeps coming up is this Carson Wentz-Darren Sproles story, that Wentz and Sproles got into a fight during the 2017 season after Wentz essentially voiced his displeasure over the Eagles doing well while Wentz was injured. Uh, Did that happen? Do you know about that? Because that's obviously a troubling thing, that he wasn't happy about the Eagles doing well while he was hurt. Well... When I heard that, I was like, the training room in 2017 must have been like a, you know, like a, a black box. Like, because this is happening. We're in the training room every day. Okay. Like, I'm not saying it didn't happen, but I'm telling you, I have never heard of that happening. Now, it very well may have happened. Um, and it very well may need to be a thing where you get a little context. Maybe Carson was frustrated having a bad day saying something like, this sucks, dude. Like, I got to watch these guys win and I got to sit. Every player feels that when they're hurt. Now, how you voice it, especially to a veteran, like Darren Sproles is a borderline Hall of Famer and he's sitting there like, damn, dude, I'm sitting here and I'm not going to get a ring. Like, I get a ring, but I don't get to play on the field and I know that broke his heart. I'm sure if that conversation went down, I'm sure Darren probably gave him a piece of his mind. But I also think that's a veteran's job sometimes is to like tell a player. And again, I don't know what happened. I had never heard of it until like two months ago, never heard of it until two months ago. I guess that's when the reports came out. But hypothetically, I can imagine that if somebody's having a bad day and something came out wrong, that is that veteran's job to say, Hey, get your shit together, dude. Like this is not about you. It's not about me. It's about this team. And we, we, you know, we can't mope. We can't sulk. And I think players when they're hurt can go through that sometimes. Like I remember being hurt in St. Louis uh, for the first time, you know, I played in a hundred games and was always healthy and I was a captain and all that stuff. And it sucks when you're hurt and you got to watch your teammates. I mean, like even when they're playing well, it's, it's okay to admit sometimes like that, man, I'd really like to be out there with them. This is not as fun as being, as being out there with them and, and, and achieving success myself. So I'm not excusing that hypothetical interaction. Uh, but I am also saying that like, I, 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 I think, when you hear about back channel stories, whether it's like unnamed sources in 2017 or 18, whenever those articles came out or something that pops up three, four years later, I always think context helps. And the one thing you're not going to get from anybody who's playing a game of telephone is the context is necessary. Now I'd love to know what happened, but I've never heard that story until two months ago. Nothing surprises me anymore, but I was surprised when I heard that. We're talking Carson Wentz with two-time Super Bowl champion Chris Long, who played with Wentz on the Eagles in 2017 and 2018. So you talked about leadership and Wentz maybe not always being the perfect leader. I think the concept of leadership is so interesting, right? Because it's this abstract thing that means different things to different people. What exactly goes into a quarterback being a good leader and how might Carson Wentz be able to be a better leader? Oh, listen, I mean, like, I was 
evidently a leader. So I don't want to act like my brand of leadership was the only way to go. I think the leadership comes in so many different forms. I think like step one of being a leader is not changing your personality, being you, being authentic, because you can't fool NFL players. But, you know, hitting those non-negotiable touchstones that like, listen, I have to reach out to every corner of the locker room. Like I have to spend time time with guys off the field. I can't be if I'm a shy dude, I have to do things to show that I'm engaged and that I'm, you know, like I'm bought into the locker room part of it. And that can be like buying your alignment a gift. That can be, you know, taking guys out to dinner once in a blue moon. That can be keeping the mood light, you know, some week bringing something in that, you know, keeps the mood light. But it also is just in crunch time. It's making the throws. It's, it's being able to do the things that he was doing in 2017 and quite frankly in 2019 as well um, because I thought he had an underrated season that year with a ton of challenges. I mean, he didn't throw the ball. He, he was barely throwing the ball to anybody and no disrespect to anybody, but there were weeks when I, I said this, like Carson was throwing to guys with shadow pictures in the program. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, so I think that Carson's career and his leadership um in a vacuum, it's really easy sometimes to say X, Y, Z, but there's a lot that's gone on physically with him. You know, there was the AC, ACL and then 18. He was, he did something in 18 that I believe really hurt him. And that was trying to play hurt. You know, we just saw it with Baker Mayfield. We saw it with Jimmy G playing hurt in the NFL. It sounds cool. And it sounds like it's going to buy you points and it does, but it's a thin line to walk because he tried to rush back. His entire body suffered as a result. He had, injuries up and down the chain that people weren't thinking about and he looked not great in 18 i remember uh how poorly he looked in 18 that was my last year and that's when it really got bad and the tide started to turn for him so i think just understanding the context of the fact that like he's not a perfect leader you don't have to be fiery to be a leader you know i just got off the phone with one of my best buddies a couple nights ago in sam bradford who a lot of people you know like can't stand him because he didn't pan out or whatever but that guy couldn't control the injuries that that uh, that that happened to him. I mean, I, I watched him tear his ACL twice in like a two three year span. Like it was over for him at that point. And he he got assaulted under under center in in St. Louis. So whether it's protection, whether it's you know another thing is don't take sacks. Like Carson taking sacks like that to finish the Sam Bradford thought would be. Sam didn't say two words like he's very quiet, but everybody respected Sam because he found a way to make himself like one of the guys, you know, like and and his brand of who he was very authentic. And if he had played well, people would have been like, I can, I'll ride with that guy. And he wouldn't have had to be any different than he was. So I think there's there's a conversation about performance. There's a conversation about health. There's also a conversation about being yourself, but like figuring out the ways that you can be a leader as a quarterback, which is different than being a leader as a defensive end. And I wouldn't want to trade places. I think it's easy to be a leader as a defensive lineman. You got to go out and play pretty well. You got to be old <laughs> and, and you, and you have to get along with your teammates and shoot people straight. And I think one thing, if I had a regret or if I was in a locker room with Carson, I would try to be his, his big brother on something like this and say, Hey man, like, you got to fix a couple of these things. It doesn't mean you're an ax murderer, as I said, but like you just have to fix a couple of these things. And so I hope somebody he's had a conversation with somebody who could just tell him like, Hey, this is where the noise is coming from, dude. And I think Carson's reasonable enough that if somebody shot him straight, he could, he could maybe start fresh in, in Washington. 
One more for you on Wentz as a leader, and then I want to ask you about Wentz as a quarterback. So something that has come up, and I'm not saying that I believe this, but it's something that has come up, is that Wentz's religious beliefs or his religious nature can be maybe not a turnoff to people, but that it makes it hard for people to always relate to him. You know, not not that people are like anti-religion, but that, you know, the, the way he talks and he brings it up, that maybe that sort of isolates him from others. Did you ever see his religion at all be an issue in terms of how he related with his teammates? Not to me. I mean, I haven't been to church enough. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I'm about, I mean, like I'm a spiritual guy and everything, and I, I totally respect everybody's religious beliefs, but I, I, I'm about the furthest guy from the guy who's going to be, you know, um, in Bible study. And that never bothered me. I mean, like, I, of course, I didn't play offense. And I also think it's unfair, like, I think it's unfair as like a teammate to judge somebody on their on their religious beliefs in 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 any way unless it becomes a you know an issue and I didn't see that as an issue. I think there are hall of famers who are like ordained ministers. So you know like we pray before our games in the shower everybody you know like huddles up and prays whether or not you're you know you you you're affiliated with XYZ after the game guys pray i think like there's there's sunday um service at the at the uh at the hotel i play with plenty of guys who are super religious you know who's super religious nick Foles. like nick Foles is is very religious uh and he's the antithesis of carton carson let people tell it you know as far as leadership is concerned and nick Foles does have a lot of really great intangible leadership skills like so I don't look at the religion thing as, you know, I heard somebody ask me that too before and I was like, eh, not from where I'm sitting. I mean, like, really all I care about is, are you a good person? Are you a good teammate? And can you play well? And the, the third thing I said is probably the most important because you can't be a leader unless the third thing's happening. Makes total sense. Okay, so Carson Wentz as a quarterback, you have such an interesting perspective because your first season with him was clearly his best season. Your second season with him was one of his poorer seasons. Uh, Yeah, yeah, we've seen what he has been these last few seasons. Where do you think he's at as a quarterback? And what do you think he might be for the commanders as a quarterback? Well, I don't think he's ever going to be 2017 again. And that's okay, because like you don't need 2017. Um, I think what he can be is a smarter version of who he was in Indy last year. I think, you know, like... To be fair, and I don't want to say this because it sounds like I'm caping for the guy, but, you know, and this is the reality now. He's played himself into this reality. He's going to have to make that transition. He's going to have to make the transition and play well on a quicker shot clock. It's not like being a first-round pick anymore. You know, so, like, he has to learn the offense. There can't be a slow month. There can't be a learning curve. Like, he has to he has to figure out who his O-linemen are, figure out, like, where the pocket issues are going to be. Um, I think one of the biggest things with Carson is, as I said, don't do it, right? If I had to make like a cheat sheet for Carson, it's like, don't do it. You know, like, don't take sacks. Uh, Because I think that was one thing in 2018 was there were a lot of extended plays because he was pressing. The same way he might be pressing in the locker room and people hearing these reports and he's not the same guy that I remember or whatever, depending on which who you listen to he's pressing to make these magical plays to try to be who he was in 2017. And what ends up happening is you get an 11 yard drop target. 
you get five seconds with the ball in your hand. And he was taking a lot of sacks in, in, in Philly with an offensive line that was like all world. You know, not always because there were injuries. And if you're an Eagles fan, you remember. But I think those are the big things. Like, don't beat yourself. If he if he avoids beating himself, I know it sounds simple, but y'all didn't try to go out and get the, the, the second coming here. Y'all went out and got a quarterback that you can see if maybe he can stick. He's a guy you want around for. Maybe he's a bridge. I don't know. Um, but but I kind of like betting on the upside here. I, how many times can somebody – how many times is somebody with his talent um, going to disappoint? Like if, if, if it happens here, it's over, but I don't mind taking a shot at this thing because Carson still has some good football in him. I believe that it's just more about him as a thrower, knowing when to say when, like burn the ball, you know, like hit the mascot, you know, like the bull Durham thing, like just pick somebody in the first row and drill them with a football. I don't want to see you throwing cross body, this isn't 2019 where you had to be a hero and you, there was nobody around you. This isn't 2017 where you have to be an MVP. Find the middle ground there. And I think that's been the hardest thing for Carson. And I think it starts with just accepting that you can't do everything your way. And if he does that, I really believe in your offense. There are a lot of really exciting young players there. In fact, I've kind of really grown to love some of those players, dude. Like As hard as it is for me to admit, it's fun to watch Terry. It's fun to watch Gibson. It's fun. It was fun watching the tight end um, uh, Logan, uh, even though he's a hokey. Like it, it's a good group. Scott's done a good job. Um, so I think there's something to be excited about there. But the, the wild card is what's Carson's mindset? Is he going to start over? Or is he going to try to do the thing he's been doing harder? <laughs> You know, because I think that's been his biggest problem. Definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Like, you, you got to change. One more for you. In terms of the good things that you saw from Carson Wentz, uh, on the field, off the field, whatever it was, because, again, you were there for the high. I mean, I remember in 2017, some of those plays that he made against the Redskins were spectacular. And we used to talk about it. He had this Houdini play where it looked like he was getting swallowed up, and instead he ended up making this huge throw down the field. Monday Night Football. Exactly. And it's, it's, it's a play that people still talk about today. So when you think about what Carson Wentz can be, and like you said, I mean, 2017's a while ago. I think to hope that he's going to be that guy for the Commanders is unrealistic. But, you know, he could be, say, the 2019 Carson Wentz. But what jumps out to you in terms of the positives with Carson? Number one, I really do believe this. A good person. He's a good person. If he can, if he can figure out how to be a teammate, you know, the, the way that people have been wanting him to be, I think, I think he can take care of all that stuff. Um, but I also think what's fun for him, or fun for him, is he's as big as some of the defensive linemen. I think like Carson is a bigger guy than you think. He's a stronger guy than you think. He is going to be able to extend plays when he gets in those situations, but. It's kind of like the guy playing Madden that you're like, oh, let me try to make a big play. Let me get greedy. He's just got to know. He's got to know when to say when. He can extend plays. He can make a lot of throws. I don't think his top end arm strength is what it once was, but he's pretty good throwing the ball off the spot. Those are two different kind of like the, the nine route with a clean pocket is a different throw than rolling right and hitting a deep over that's coming into the picture 20 yards down the field and being able to throw that ball on the run. Like I, I think he can throw well off the spot. 
Uh, I think he's strong. I think he's physical for a guy that you're trying to get down. And I also think that you're going to get a guy who's desperate. And I think that's, if Carson is the guy I know, like eventually this is going to click for him. And I hate to say like eventually because it's been team one, team two now, but I think someday he wakes up and looks in the mirror and says, this is it. Like, this is my last shot because it is. And I think sometimes when you're getting a desperate player, you're going to get their best. And I think hopefully he knows what time it is. So I think his physicality, uh, certainly being able to make throws off the spot. Um, and, and then just the fact that he's, he's going to be, he's going to be ready. You're going to get the best version of Carson Carson. What that is, I don't know, but I, I do think he's going to give it his best shot, especially being in division with Philly. I think he's he's going to want to he's going to want to play well those two games. Yeah, he he actually brought that up in his intro presser, and he actually gave I thought a very good introductory press conference. I know press conferences are just press conferences, but he came off humble. He came off saying, "Hey, I have uh, made some mistakes in the past." Like he seemed like a guy who maybe just maybe has uh, has realized some things. So that's good. It's hard, man. It's hard being hurt in the NFL. It's hard, you know, having a lot of pressure on you. You Sometimes you press. I think that's what he's done the last couple of years. If he can stop and maybe not wear that suit again, <laughs> you know, at the press conference. <laughs> that's my guy. I still I, I still, I still, have a lot of love for Carson. And being in the media the last couple of years has been tough because everybody's asked me because I'm willing to actually be honest about it. I think there's some good and some bad. And if he can reach down and find, like, that kid again and not this guy who's just been – in his mind, kind of like hardened by the NFL, drop that stuff, go play, go have fun, love up on your teammates and make good decisions. No one to burn the ball. He's going to be fine, dude. I really do. If he can do those things and I'm not saying if he can do X, Y, Z and they're all rocket science things like these are things he can do. Well, listen, man, I really appreciate your honesty on this. I appreciate your time with this. I know we have a lot of Virginia fans listening who are very appreciative of your time with the Cavaliers. Uh, all the best to you. Continued success. And uh, thanks again. Thank you so much. Good talking to you. All right. Great stuff from Chris Long on Carson Wentz. I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on what Chris had to say. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Perhaps what Chris Long just told us will improve the image of Carson Wentz. Uh, I do know this. Nothing would be better for your business than working with Image Works. Uh, grow your business, better market your business, and more effectively reach customers by working with ImageWorks. ImageWorks is a full-service boutique web design branding and marketing company, and ImageWorks right now has a special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a free review of your website. Yes, ImageWorks will tell you how your website can be even better, free of charge. You have nothing to lose Take advantage of this free offer. Go to imageworkscreative.com, click on contact near the upper right corner, and make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast for the free offer. That's imageworkscreative.com. Image, one word, works, plural, creative.com. Imageworkscreative.com. Click on contact near the upper right corner and make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast for the free offer. Uh, also, you can call or text the owner of ImageWorks, Scott, at 703-928-7309. That's 703-928-7309. Text them, mention the Al Galdi podcast, and get a free review of your website. ImageWorks will take your business 
to the next level and make you more money. ImageWorks is located in the DMV, but can work with a business anywhere in the country. Just go to imageworkscreative.com, click on contact near the upper right corner, and make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast for a free review of your website. ImageWorks, creative minds focused on one goal, your business success. Up next, Alex Ovechkin. He made history late night on Wednesday night and in multiple ways. We'll talk about that and more from a Capitals 4-3 overtime loss at the Vegas Golden Knights that moved the Caps into a tie with the Pittsburgh Penguins for third in the Metropolitan Division. All right, so like so many of you, I work out, I try to eat healthy, I want to be healthy, but like so many of you, I'm busy, you know, two podcasts, two young kids, crazy hours, a house, you know how it is. Uh, We want to be healthy, but we have like a million things going on, and so that's why I leave my meals to Factor. Factor is the ultimate meal plan for people who want to be healthy, but who don't have the time to be planning and prepping meals. And Factor right now is offering a great deal to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Factor makes it easy to eat clean 24-7 with fresh, never-frozen, prepared meals that are so delicious you wouldn't believe that they're actually good for you. Factor saves you time by delivering chef-crafted meals right to where you live, eliminating the hassle of grocery shopping and meal prep, Uh, not to mention cleanup, no dishes to wash. Each Factor meal arrives pre-prepared and ready to eat in two minutes. It's even faster than ordering in. And Factor meals are put together by registered dietitians and expert chefs who work hand-in-hand to create meals with nutritious ingredients. Also, you won't get bored with Factor. Uh, Factor offers more than 29 meal options each week. Uh, Factor knows my preferences. My favorites are the buffalo chicken, the keto chili, and the Santa Fe beef bowl. Especially for those of you who work out, want to eat clean, want to put on muscle, Factor is perfect for you. So here's what you do. Visit go.factor75.com slash Galdi120 and use the code Galdi120 to get $120 off. Yeah, you heard that right. $120 off. That's go.factor75.com slash Galdi120 and use the code Galdi120 to get $120 off. Hey, especially with inflation, who couldn't use saving $120 right now? Give Factor a try. Save yourself $120 and tell me what you think. Visit go.factor75.com slash Galdi120 and use the code Galdi120 to get $120 off. You gotta try Factor because fitness starts with food. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, late night on Wednesday night, we had something very special happen in Washington, D.C. sports. Alex Ovechkin made NHL history, and he did so multiple times. Uh, So the Capitals on Wednesday night played game four of a five-game road trip. The Caps did lose 4-3, but in overtime at the Vegas Golden Knights. So the Caps picked up a point, but Alex Ovechkin scored two goals. He had a second period even strength goal, and he had a third period even strength goal that tied the game at three. And each goal was a milestone goal, as seemingly every Ovechkin goal is these days, but these goals were extra special. Uh, Ovechkin's first goal was his 49th goal of the season, moving him past Timu Solani, in the 2006-2007 regular season for the most goals by a player age 36 or older in a regular season in NHL history. And Ovechkin's second goal gave him an NHL record-tying ninth 50-goal regular season. The two other players, each with nine 50-goal regular seasons, are Wayne Gretzky and Mike Bossy who just recently passed away. Uh, These two accomplishments by Ovechkin really are special. Most goals by a player age 36 or older in a regular season in NHL history and an NHL record-tying ninth 50-goal regular season. And actually, there were more milestones that Ovechkin achieved on Wednesday night. Uh, At 36 years old, Ovechkin became the oldest player in NHL history to score 50 goals in an NHL regular season. And this was, of course, a multi-goal game for Ovechkin, right? He had two goals. Uh, This was his 158th career multi-goal regular season game, tying Brett Hull for the second most multi-goal regular season games in NHL history. I mean, it's just amazing how many accomplishments Alex Ovechkin has Uh, Ovechkin is on the short list of the greatest athletes in Washington, D.C. sports history. I mean, to me, he, Walter Johnson, or Sammy Ball is the greatest athlete in D.C. sports history. And if you say that Ovechkin is the guy, uh, I'm not arguing with you. Uh, The production, the consistency, the durability, the physicality, I can't say enough about how great the great eight has been for the Caps. And as the Caps are headed to the Stanley Cup playoffs once again. It was quite nice to have what we had on Wednesday night with Ovechkin. Uh, He is having another tremendous season, and Wednesday night ended up being a really nice feel-good late-season, regular-season game for the Caps, even though, yes, uh, the Caps did lose, uh, but they lost in overtime. Now, there was more to Ovechkin's game than just the two goals. Uh, Ovechkin on Wednesday night also had a primary assist, so he actually had a three-point night. Uh, He had a game-high six shots on goal. He had a game-high nine shot attempts. And Ovechkin 
per natural stat trick, was number four on the Caps in five-on-five shot attempt percentage for the game at 56.67 of the Caps. With Ovechkin on the ice in five-on-five situations in the game, had 17 shot attempts versus allowing 13 shot attempts. Uh, Ovechkin this season now is tied for third in the NHL with 50 goals. The Caps now this season are 43-23-11 and and have 97 points. And the Caps getting that point on Wednesday night was key because the Caps now are tied with the Pittsburgh Penguins for third in the Metropolitan Division. So the Caps may end up making the Stanley Cup playoffs not as a wildcard team, but as a top three finisher in the Metro. Uh, the Caps are two points behind the Boston Bruins for the top wildcard spot in the Eastern Conference. Uh, we, of course, know that the Caps are going to the Stanley Cup playoffs. The Caps have clinched a spot in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Now it's just about positioning and seeding. Uh, a few other things for the Caps with this 4-3 overtime loss at the Golden Knights on Wednesday night. I mean, so much of the game was about Alex Ovechkin, but Evgeny Kuznetsov ended up having another good game this season. Kuzi has had a really nice season. Uh, Kuznetsov on Wednesday night scored a first-period even-strength goal. He had a primary assist. He was number two in the game with four shots on goal, and Kuznetsov, per natural stat trick, was number two on the caps in five-on-five shot attempt percentage for the game at 62.07. The Caps, with Kuznetsov on the ice in five-on-five situations in the game, had 18 shot attempts versus allowing 11 shot attempts. Uh, As for the Caps' goaltending on Wednesday night, uh, so that was not so good. Uh, Ilya Samsonov was the Caps' starting goaltender for a sixth time in eight games. He stopped just 26 of the 30 shots on goal that he faced, and he per natural stat trick gave up two goals on low danger shots on goal. Uh, Natural stat trick has three classifications for shots on goal. High danger shots on goal, medium danger shots on goal, and low danger shots on goal. You quite clearly don't want your goaltender giving up any goals on low danger shots on goals, and yet uh, old Sammy on Wednesday night gave up two goals on low danger shots on goal. Uh, Caps went 1-2 on the penalty kill in the game. Uh, Caps have just five regular season games left before the Stanley Cup playoffs. Next up for the Caps at the Arizona Coyotes, Friday night at 10.30. So one of the many, many sayings in baseball is that if you go to a baseball game, you'll always see something that you've never seen. Uh, The idea being that every baseball game is unique. Well, we on Wednesday night at Nationals Park had something that we had never had before, and hopefully we'll never have that something again. Uh, Now, technically, this something happened prior to the game, but what happened was nuts. Uh, So the Nats got smashed on Wednesday night. An 11-2 loss to the Arizona Diamondbacks at Nationals Park in Game 3 of a four-game series, but something happened that made national headlines, and what happened happened prior to the game. Uh, There was mass confusion shortly before the start of the game, and the mass confusion led to the U.S. Capitol being evacuated. Yes, the U.S. Capitol. So Nationals Park, prior to the game, hosted a stunt on which members of the U.S. Army Golden Knights parachuted into Nationals Park. 
Well, the U.S. Capitol Police, for whatever reason, didn't know about the stunt. And so the U.S. Capitol was briefly evacuated after U.S. Capitol Police identified an aircraft that they said posed, quote, a probable threat, end quote. Uh, Why the U.S. Capitol Police didn't know about what was happening at Nationals Park, we do not yet know. Uh, Clearly, somebody or some entity screwed up here. Uh, Already the blame game has begun. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, in a statement Wednesday night, blamed the Federal Aviation Administration, saying it's, quote, apparent failure to notify Capitol Police of the pre-planned flyover National Stadium is outrageous and inexcusable, end quote. Uh, We'll let the suits in Washington, D.C. determine who and or what is to blame for this pretty embarrassing incident. But for our purposes on this podcast, uh, what happened at Nationals Park on Wednesday night in terms of the game uh, was embarrassing enough. An 11-2 loss to the lowly Diamondbacks. Uh, The Diamondbacks are one of the worst-hitting teams in the majors this season, and yet the Diamondbacks on Wednesday night scored 11 runs. Uh, So a day after the Nats pitching was excellent in a doubleheader sweep of the Diamondbacks, the Nats gave up 11 runs in this loss to the weak-hitting Diamondbacks. Uh, The Nats this season now are six in date. Uh, terrible night for Eric Fetty. Uh, now, Fetty had been solid in each of his first two starts of the 2022 regular season. He was not good on Wednesday night. Fetty allowed seven runs, six earned in three and a third innings. He gave up eight hits, a home run, a double, and six singles. He issued one walk. He recorded three strikeouts. He threw 80 pitches over his three and a third innings. Yes, 80 pitches in three and a third innings, 55 strikes versus 25 balls. Uh, Fetty, in the top of the second, gave up an unearned run, uh, thanks to shortstop Alcides Escobar beginning the inning by making a throwing error on a Christian Walker grounder. Um, So that was a defensive boo-boo. And, you know, the Nats lately have had some of these defensive boo-boos. The Nats' defense initially this season was good, but lately has not been so good. Uh, Escobar on Wednesday night was an ad starting shortstop and number eight batter. He went 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. And Escobar in this Diamondbacks one run second, a throwing error on this leadoff grounder by Kristen Walker on a play on which the Nats third baseman, Michael Franco, crossed in front of Escobar and could have taken the grounder. Uh, Also, the Nats first baseman, Josh Bell, could have caught the throw from Escobar, could have made a backhanded catch of Escobar's one-hop throw, but Bell did not make the catch. But Fetty did not respond well to the air. Uh, Fetty uh, followed the Escobar error by giving up a single to Seth Beer and then issuing a 10-pitch walk of Paven Smith, despite Smith having been down to the count at 1.02. The run scored on a one-out RBI sack fly by Sergio Alcantara. Fetty in the top of the third gave up three runs. He, in the inning, allowed four consecutive one-out hits. And Fetty, in the top of the fourth, was charged with three runs. He, in the inning, gave up a one-out two-run homer to Dalton Varsho to right field on the 11th pitch of a plate appearance in which Fetty had Varsho down 0-2. So note, Fetty in that Diamondbacks one-run second had Paven Smith down at 1.02, but ended up issuing a 10-pitch walk. And Fetty in the Diamondbacks four-run fourth had Dalton Varsho down 0-2, but ended up giving up a two-run homer to Varsho on the 11th pitch of the plate appearance. So not only did Fetty not put these guys away, 
Fetty ended up giving up severe damage inflicted by these guys. Uh, just a really bad performance by Fetty, who, like I said, was solid over his first two starts of the 2022 regular season. Uh, Fetty in the Nats 4-2 win over the New York Mets at Nationals Park on April 10th, allowed two runs in five innings with five strikeouts. Fetty in the Nats 7-2 win at the Pittsburgh Pirates this past Friday evening, allowed two runs in five innings with six strikeouts. Here was Nats manager Davey Martinez during his postgame press conference on Wednesday night on what happened with Eric Fetty. He, just, he couldn't, uh, they didn't swing and miss. I mean, I mean, he threw a lot of pitches. So his pitch count got up to 80 in three and a third innings. Um, some, balls, some balls he left up, you know, made hard. Uh, I mean, they fouled off a lot of pitches. And, uh, they put the ball in play. So, I mean, I told Fetty, hey, look, let's forget about this one and move forward. I mean, uh, they had good at-bats against them. Yeah, you know, there really has been this Jekyll and Hyde nature to Eric Fetty in his major league career. Take his 2021 season. Fetty in the 2021 regular season, over 133 and a third innings, over 29 games, including 27 starts, had an ERA of 547. That's obviously really bad. But remember, Fetty got off to a really nice start last season. Fetty over his first 10 starts of the 2021 regular season had an ERA of 333 and his season then fell apart. So, you know, you can see Eric Fetty do well, but you can also see him do not so well. And uh, we've seen that so far over his three starts in this 2022 regular season. Uh, Meantime, busy Wednesday for the Nats bullpen. Uh, First, some news and the news was not good. Uh, Sean Doolittle now is on the 10-day injured list. Uh, The Nats on Wednesday afternoon announced four roster moves. The most prominent of them was the placement of Sean Doolittle on the 10-day injured list with a left elbow sprain. Uh, That's not good, right? Anytime a pitcher goes on an injured list with an elbow ailment is very concerning, especially a pitcher in his mid-30s as Doolittle is. Uh, We'll see what his status ends up being, but this is a shame because Doolittle had been looking so good this season. Uh, Doolittle over his first six games in the 2022 regular season, five and a third scoreless and walkless innings with six strikeouts. Doolittle has retired 16 of the 17 batters he has faced in the 2022 regular season. Uh, The Nats on March 16th announced that they had agreed on a contract with Doolittle as a free agent. The contract is a one-year, $1.5 million deal. Uh, This season is Doolittle's age 35 season. So certainly hope for the best with Sean Doolittle and his left elbow. And, you know, maybe this doesn't end up being something that requires surgery, but at the very least, it would seem that Doolittle is going to be out for a while. And even if he doesn't have to undergo, say, Tommy John surgery, uh, what is this going to mean for the usage of Sean Doolittle? I mean, he's only thrown five into third innings this season, and already uh, the guy is dealing with an elbow issue. You know, this is a problem for the Nats. They continue to rely on 30-somethings, even though the Nats are a rebuilding team. And so what you have here now are a bunch of 30-somethings out due to injury and potentially out for extended periods of time. I mean, we'll see what happens with Sean Doolittle, but already in this 2022 regular season, the Nats have not had the services at all of starting pitcher Anibal Sanchez and of utility man A. Ray Adrianza, uh, two 30-somethings who are out uh, for a while here Due to injury, uh, Sanchez is dealing with this cervical neck impingement, and Adrianza is dealing with a left quadriceps strain that he suffered in an exhibition game 
on March 31st. Uh, so the Nats' other three roster moves on Wednesday afternoon were recalling two relievers, two lefties, Sam Clay and Francisco Perez from AAA Rochester, and optioning outfielder Donovan Casey to AAA Rochester. Casey ended up never getting into a game uh, during his brief time at the major league level with the Nats. Uh, Davey Martinez ended up using five relievers in this 11-2 loss to the Diamondbacks at Nationals Park on Wednesday night. The five relievers combined to allow four runs, two earned in five and two-thirds innings. Uh, Francisco Perez and Patrick Murphy combined to allow four runs, two earned in one and two-thirds innings. But the Nats bullpen, that actually was quite good the rest of the game. Sam Clay tossed a perfect top of the sixth on just six pitches. Andres Machado tossed a perfect top of the seventh. Hunter Harvey tossed a scoreless top of the eighth, and Paolo Espino tossed a perfect top of the ninth. Uh, as for the Nats hitting on Wednesday night, uh, the Nats totaled just the two runs. Did have nine hits, but the Nats worked just one walk, struck out 11 times, and this was another homerless game for the Nats. Uh, the Nats, through 14 games this season, have just seven home runs, and I get it. Home runs are down across Major League Baseball. That is true. But the Nats, even when compared to the rest of Major League Baseball, are not hitting for like any power so far this season. I mean, seven home runs through 14 games is an awfully meager total of home runs, even in this current environment in which a lot of teams are struggling to hit for power. The Nats' team slugging percentage through 14 games is a mere 318, and now one of the Nats' best hitters may be out due to injury. Josh Bell now may be injured. Uh, Bell on Wednesday night was the Nats' starting first baseman at number four batter. He went one for one with a double, and he then left the game due to an ailing left knee. Here was Davey Martinez during his postgame press conference on Wednesday night on Josh Bell. Yeah, the left, left knee was, was bothering him. Um, He's going to get an MRI tomorrow. I mean, that's all we know. It's got a little swelling in there, but uh, we'll know more tomorrow at the MRI. All right. So an MRI exam for Josh Bell is coming. Uh, Bell on Wednesday night in the bottom of the second had a leadoff opposite field double to the left center field gap. So that was good. You know, another good looking hit there for Josh Bell. But he did then get thrown out by a mile at home on a Yadiel Hernandez check swing grounder to the Diamondbacks third baseman, Yanni Hernandez, for the second. Now, Bell has been making some outs on the base paths here lately, but Bell, over 14 games this season, has an OPS of 977, which is outstanding. Uh, two offensive bright spots for the Nats on Wednesday night, Juan Soto and Kbert Ruiz. Uh, Soto on Wednesday night was the Nats starting right fielder and number two batter. He went two for three with a double, a single, and a walk. Soto in the bottom of the third drew a two-out six-pitch walk. Soto in the Nats' one-run sixth had a leadoff double down the right field line, and Soto in the Nats' one-run seventh had a two-out full-count single to center field despite having been down to the count at one point. Oh, two. You know, it hasn't always felt like Soto is having a really good start to the season, but make no mistake, he is having a really good start to the season. Soto over 14 games, batting average of 277, on base percentage of 452, and slugging percentage of 511. Uh, K. Ruiz had been struggling, uh, but he on Wednesday night did a nice job at the plate. He was in that starting catcher at number five batter. He went two for four with a double and an RBI single. Ruiz in the bottom of the fourth had a one-out double to right field. Ruiz in the Nats one-run sixth had a two-out opposite field RBI single to left field to cut the Nats deficit to 11-1. Uh, also, Cesar Hernandez on Wednesday night had another double. 
Uh, this guy all of a sudden has become Mr. Double. Uh, he has hit a double in each of the Nats' last three games now. Cesar Hernandez had not had a single extra base hit this season. He now has a double in each of the Nats' last three games. Hernandez on Wednesday night was the Nats' starting second baseman and number one batter. He went one for five, but with the double. Uh, Hernandez in the Nats' one run seventh, a two out full count, opposite field double down the left field line. Uh, Nelson Cruz does continue to not hit for power. This needs to change. It will change. Cruz will come around, but Cruz on Wednesday night as an ad-starting DH and number three batter, one for four. Now, the one was an RBI single, so that was good. Cruz in the Nats, one run seventh and two out opposite field. RBI single to right field despite having been down at the count at one point, one, two. But Cruz over 13 games this season is slugging just 255. Uh, also, Victor Robles on Wednesday night, another offer. Uh, Robles was an ad-starting center fielder, a number nine batter. He went 0 for four with two strikeouts. Uh, Robles over 12 games this season has a batting average of 0.94. Um, I'm not huge on batting average, but man, does that stand out. Robles' batting average on the season is 0.094. His OPS on the season, all right? OPS is on base percentage plus slugging percentage. Robles' OPS on the season is 272. I mean, he is just not a good hitter. Um, it is perplexing what has happened to him. I mean, he was never a great hitter, but he was at least a decent hitter as recently as 2019. He is, though, still very good defensively. Uh, he has gotten back to being very good defensively in center field off and off defensive season in 2020. And Robles on Wednesday night made another terrific defensive play. He and the Diamondbacks, three-run third, made a really nice leaping backhanded catch on the center field warning track of a one-out Paven Smith RBI sack fly for a 4-0 Diamondbacks lead. Uh, game four for the Nats against the Diamondbacks at Nationals Park will be on Thursday afternoon at 4.05. Josh Rogers will be the Nats starting pitcher. He'll oppose a former Orioles prospect, Zach Davies. And let us hope that the U.S. Capitol Police are aware of any pregame festivities at Nationals Park. Well, the Nationals on Wednesday night did not get a good outing from their starting pitcher, Eric Fetty, but the Orioles on Wednesday evening got a good outing from their starting pitcher, Jordan Lyles. I don't know what has gotten into the O's. It's hard to see this lasting from the O's, but... Their starting pitching lately has been outstanding. Uh, the O's won at the Oakland A's, one nothing on Wednesday evening in Game 3 of a four-game series. And the O's in this game got an at least solid outing from their starting pitcher for a sixth consecutive game. As yes, Joe Angel, the O's were in the win column on Wednesday evening. And the Orioles again in the win column. Yes, Joe. Thank you. Uh, Jordan Lyles on Wednesday evening was good for a second consecutive start. Lyles in this one nothing win at the A's. Five scoreless innings with six strikeouts. Uh, he gave up five hits, a double, and four singles. He issued one walk and a hit by pitch. He threw 89 pitches, 61 strikes, versus 28 balls. Uh, Lyles in his previous start also was good. Uh, Lyles 
in the Orioles 2-1 11-inning win over the New York Yankees at Oriole Park at Camden Yards this past Friday night. Uh, was good. Lyles in that game, one run in five and a third innings. Now look, none of these recent good outings from Orioles starting pitchers have been six-plus inning gems, okay? Uh, all of these starts have been in the neighborhood of five innings or so, but the run prevention has been terrific. Check this out. Orioles starting pitchers over the team's last six games have an ERA of 0.63. Heck, Orioles starting pitchers over the team's last nine games have an ERA of 1.13. This really is stunning, especially considering that the Orioles' best starting pitcher, John Means, is on the 60-day injured list with a left elbow sprain. And as we all know, even with Means, it's not like the Orioles' starting pitching was expected to be good this season. Uh, Also, credit to the Orioles' bullpen on Wednesday evening. Four Orioles relievers, Paul Fry, Dylan Tate, Brian Baker, and Jorge Lopez combined for four scoreless innings with five strikeouts. Lopez was excellent. One and two-thirds of perfect innings with three strikeouts. Uh, Lopez recorded a five-out save. Uh, The O's, after the win on Wednesday evening, actually came charging out of their dugout as if they had just clinched a playoff spot. It was pretty funny to see, Uh, but good for them. Uh, Here was O's manager Brandon Hyde with reporters after the game. I thought our our guys were fired up. Uh, You know, the dugout, you know, Exploded after that last out. Just, uh, you know, what an amazing job by all of our pitchers, especially Lopi there coming in at the end of the game. Um, in the first and third one out situation in the eighth in the tough spot and got us out of that. And then an easy ninth inning. So um, really happy with how all of our guys are throwing the ball. Jordan Lyle set the tone, five great innings. Then we only had one walk as a pitching staff today and we played really good defense behind him. So really happy for our guys. Yeah, I mean, it's not 1971 when the Orioles famously had four 20-game winners, okay? Uh, This isn't Jim Palmer, Dave McNally, Mike Cuellar, and Pat Dobson, but the Orioles starting pitching lately has been awesome. Uh, The Orioles hitting does remain a problem. Uh, The O's on Wednesday evening had just one run, just five hits, just one walk, when 0 for 6 with runners in scoring position. The O's now through 12 games this season are 28th out of 30 major league teams with a team OPS of just 585. This is why the O's are just 4-8 and eight, despite the great starting pitching, but the starting pitching really has been good here lately. Uh, an injury note for the O's catcher, Robinson Chirinos left the game on Wednesday evening due to getting hit by a pitch on his face. A frightening moment, uh, but he was said to have a facial contusion, meaning that x-rays were negative. Uh, Game four for the O's at the A's will be on Thursday afternoon at 337, and we'll see if the Orioles' recent starting pitching success continues. Tyler Wells will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 298. will include lots more on the commanders as we will be inside of a week until the first round of the 2022 NFL draft. I'll talk Nationals, game four of their series against the Arizona Diamondbacks at Nationals Park will be on Thursday afternoon at 4.05. And I'll talk Orioles, game four of their series at the Oakland A's will be on Thursday afternoon at 3.37.
and have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday. I wasn't in Indy. I was only in Philly, and I've, I've always I've always couched my commentary with, like, listen, I was a defensive end, and I was 32 years old. I don't need Carson to leave me for anything. But I didn't see the axe murderer that people had described. <laughs>